station and and get filled up with uh, some fresh gas to get through the week well I got news for you though if you pulled up in here tonight looking for regular we don't have any it's all high octane tonight amen amen, amen. hallelujah let's sing this old song victory in Jesus <clears throat> Kia G, let's keep it right there. how many's looking for victory how many's got victory I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about His groaning Of His precious blood atoned 
plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Oh, I heard about His healing, of His cleansing power revealing how He made the lame to walk again and cause the blind to see.
reaction and uh, is just at home he's not feeling well and recovering so remember him this evening also continue to remember uh, sister Connie Hughes as she's uh, going through recovery we want to remember uh, brother John Cockman and his family also we want to continue to remember uh, sister uh, Karen Buchanan who uh, had a fall Sunday and when she went to the hospital, they determined that she had had a series of uh, many strokes. So we want to continue to remember her as she's recovering. Also, we want to continue to remember Sister Mary Smith as well, 
I know there's many needs among us. Amen. Just remember each other in prayer. Brother Chris, if you'd come at this time. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, we thank you once again for this opportunity that we have to gather, to gather in person, to come to your house, Lord, not to see one another, but to learn more about you. Lord, our desire tonight is that you would come down and be with us, walk amongst us, Lord. Pray that you would reveal yourself a little bit more to us tonight. Lord, we've heard the needs, some very serious. Lord, your word says that you're a a need-meeting God, and we just place all these needs in your hands, Lord, and ask that you would meet them according to your will. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. God bless. You may be seated. I don't have any specials this evening, but we're going to sing one here. Um, Also, we want to uh, uh, wish uh, Sister Shirley Lingle, I think it was a birthday yesterday. Uh, today. Oh, well, happy birthday to you, Sister Shirley. It's good to see you this evening as well. Let's sing this song, If That Isn't Love. I just had this song on my heart all day today, and I just couldn't help but think about all the many times that I've failed him and let him down. And even though he knew from the foundation of the world how many times that I was going to slip and fall, he still, he still loved me. And still made a way for me. I just love him. He left his splendor of heaven. Knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha. There to lay down his life for me. If that isn't love, then the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky.
to remember Sister Erica Reagan. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence tonight, we are mindful, Lord, of our littleness compared to you. We are reminded, Lord Jesus, that we are here tonight, not because of our own merits, but Lord, we are here by the grace of God, and we stand by the grace of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we bind every request, Lord, that has been brought to us tonight, and Lord, there are many requests that hardly ever are spoken out loud, but they're just as real. And we pray that you would be attentive, Lord, to each one, that you would incline your ear and, Lord, bring the answers and bring the relief and bring the grace that is needed, Lord, in every situation. We pray, Lord, for Sister Erica. Father, she has suffered long, and we commit her to you now and pray that you would bring stability within her body. Lord, you healer i pray and bind up her wounds and lord may she be strong and restored to her family and church and lord we pray that you would uh, just minister to us tonight lord and i step aside and lord give you all that i have i uh, lord you bless me in many ways but uh, lord your your words and just something from you lord makes all the difference in the world and so we pray that you would just come and take complete control tonight we offer our lips praise, Lord. We offer our thoughts, our hearts to you and just pray you come and teach us and show us your way. We love you and we thank you, Lord, and ask that you would be mindful, Lord, of those that are here and those that are listening. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. We'll ask you to take your Bible, if you will, and we're going to go to Psalm 34 as we begin tonight. God bless you. We appreciate you being here tonight. We know that it's a busy day and uh, midweek, and appreciate you making the effort to come tonight. Psalm 34. Let's begin at verse 11. Come, ye children, and hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see God? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good, and seek peace and pursue it. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. 
The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. And the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saith, such as, uh, such as be of a contrite spirit, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. May God add his blessing. You may be seated tonight. I love that little passage of scripture. Sister Shirley, God bless you on your birthday today. It's already been mentioned. It doesn't hurt for us to mention it more than once. Uh, Brother Mike uh, Pritchard, Brother Jeff, they're not here tonight because of work. Also, Brother Aaron and Sister Trish are not here tonight. And uh, they're, um, he's actually ministering in Zimbabwe tonight in Africa. And... Um, Not here tonight, so um, we miss them. Sister Sarah, good to have you back. Good to have the Reynolds back uh, tonight. God bless you. Good to have you here and all of you. A um, <clears throat> couple of things I wanted to just preamble a little bit tonight and uh, just wanted to uh, share a couple of things uh, with you here this evening as we begin. Now... Um, I don't know whether you uh, saw this or not. I just wanted to pass it along, and I don't want to dwell too much on it. Uh, but this was the uh, news yesterday, and I have a couple of uh, links on here. You're well, certainly welcome to uh, uh, take those, and if you wanted to do more research on it, pretty straightforward, though. Uh, matter of fact, some people have asked me here from the assembly, uh, you know, how, how they can get the PowerPoints. PowerPoints are always loaded onto our site underneath that service uh, location. So when it's archived, there are, uh, there are download options there. So somebody can download the PowerPoint uh, because it always uh, is in their hands during the service. It's, it's on the system now. And so you're able to download that so you can get references like this. But uh, <clears throat> the projection for uh, the debt of the United States was that we were not going to top uh, $30 trillion in debt until the year 2025, at least. We have surpassed $30 trillion, uh, and much of it uh, fueled because of the pandemic uh, that came and the, uh, the transfer funds that were uh, given out, and uh, there is a great concern uh, over this uh, trend where things are moving a lot faster. Short term, uh, probably not going to notice much of a difference. Uh, you should pray, though, that we don't have another pandemic or another kind of a crisis that the government needs to feel they need to borrow more money and uh, get involved there because it will only dig us a little deeper uh, in debt. Remember now, the way to get out of a hole is not to dig the bottom of it. Uh, it's to put stuff in it, right? And so several, if you, you wouldn't see this on the front headlines of anything, but you, if, if you dig around, you'll find this. Uh, this is one little quotation here that I wanted to give you in the bottom of the screen. The current gross national debt burden, which represents the debt the government owes to its creditors, is greater than the entire U.S. economy. If you do a little calculation and increase interest rates one point, the debt load of the interest on that much money is staggering. I mean... It's really staggering. 
So when they talk about raising interest rates, even like a half a point or a quarter point, we're talking about great rippling effect, uh, not only in this country but around the world. The national debt differs from the federal debt held by the public, which represents only the amount of uh, government bonds held by the public and not money the government owes itself. And that number is lower than $23.5 trillion. <laughs> That's good. Not really. Wow is a good response, Sister Amber, and uh, that's about the best way we can say it. So, uh, therefore, uh, we, you know, it, it's, it's important for us to recognize that you didn't cause that problem. But you're living in a country where the problem exists. And so, therefore, uh, it is good for us to be the best possible stewards we can and to get ourselves in the best position we can. Because uh, eventually things will be affected by stories like this that we find. Okay? So we're always called upon to be good stewards. And it is a good thing for us to be mindful of this. Uh, You know, if you're on a fixed income and, you know, things are rolling along the way that uh, they would for most people in an elderly stage of life and have a fixed income... Uh, there's probably not many changes or drastic uh, alterations that can be made. But especially for young families that are here, uh, it's really a good thing to pay attention to, uh, you know, the decisions that you're making and just uh, focus on being the best steward uh, that you possibly can. So uh, I, I realize that, uh, you know, these are, these are not great things that are happening, but uh, these are things that a prophet said would happen uh, in our time. So they remind us of the seriousness uh, of the hour. Now, um, I wanted to just uh, say also too that um, we, as a uh, an, an assembly here, uh, we've enjoyed great liberty, great freedoms over uh, over our time uh, here in the assembly, and uh, we find that uh, around the country. Uh, there are increasing numbers of uh, people with nefarious motives uh, who listen to our site and use the materials that are on our sites. Probably uh, a couple of people with nefarious intentions listening tonight. Uh, nefarious means evil, uh, intent. And anything that you can do to hinder uh, the progress of God's people or to discredit or disgrace God's, God's prophets and God's word is an evil thing. And so, therefore, uh, we are uh, in the process of making some changes here that um, that will uh, probably change a little bit of the way people access our site, and more specifically, uh, the archives on our site. Uh, and without going into detail, without going into any kind of elaborate explanation here, uh, this is the age that we live in, where whatever Satan can do, he will attack uh, in any possible way he can to try to find any kind of a crevice or a loophole uh, where you can try to get in. My job as a pastor is to look after the flock, to oversee the care of the flock. And that's certainly what I uh, intend to do with all the power vested in me in my office. That's exactly what I intend to do. Uh, Paul writes in Acts chapter 20, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And Satan's always waiting for an opportunity where the pastor's got his head turned or something uh, going on, some kind of a distraction. Distraction's a major tool that Satan will use and try to get, uh, you know, ministers uh, refocused on something else or some other disturbance, and all of a sudden, he's right there. And I will tell you that um, it is really an important thing, as uh, much of the, much, many places in the New Testament speak of this whole uh, responsibility that's given to pastors to watch out for the flock. First Peter says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Oversight means that a, a, a pastor or shepherd is to look diligently. He's to look carefully. He is to assume the care of the people that uh, God has given him in the flock. So we are to take oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. The word lords there means taking dominion. So a pastor has to strike a balance between leading the flock, protecting the flock, making sure we care for the flock without uh, overstepping authority in people's lives and being a mini-dictator over people that are there. Uh, certainly that's not the characteristic of God's shepherds. And so therefore, we are not to be uh, lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. And it is incumbent upon me to do exactly that. Brother Branham said that's the way the devil will do. He said he's just about the, uh, about the time you get things built up right and everything is beginning to move good. He says then the devil will come in. That's the way the devil will do. I'm repeating, just about the time you get things built up right and everything's moving, beginning to move good, then the devil will come in. He said, just watch that. He will try to come in and tear down what God has given you to steal away. Sheep stealing dogs. That's what Paul said. They're sheep stealing dogs. And that's right. He said, after my departure, grievous wolves will enter in, not sparing the flock. And he says, you know, back home, what we do with a sheep-stealing, sheep-killing dog? Brother Bram says, you know what we do with them? He says, we turn both barrels of a shotgun on him. I'll tell you, he said, that's the best way for a sheep-stealing dog is to turn both barrels here, New and Old Testament, both on him. When you catch him with hair in his teeth, he said, that's the evidence. Wow. Sister Amber, you're right on the mark tonight. Appreciate you coming. Pastor's job is to watch for anything that hinders the moving and the peace and the progress of the flock. And I will tell you, saints of God, it is an important, uh, it is an important thing because the enemy is on the move. The enemy is on the move on lots of fronts. And uh, just, the, uh, just the pressure that uh, churches and pastors are under, and not, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking just about ourselves here, but uh, just, just the things that pastors have shared is just incredible. Uh, you know, things that, uh, things that lurk in the shadows. It's just amazing. But it's the time that we live in. It's the time that we live in. And if you're ever going to stop the bride, I think now is the time. If you're ever going to attempt to throw something in the path of the bride, now is the time to do it because we believe we're living at the very end of things. 
So it becomes more challenging. It becomes more difficult. And like Brother Branham said in another quote here, he said, now you folks here know me, he said, if something goes wrong, he said, you know, I'm going to come to you. He said, you might not always like that, but I'll tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth is a difficult thing to hear, but I will tell you this, truth is the thing that sets you free. It's not counseling. It's not youth meetings. It's truth that sets you free. It's not favoritism. It is not assumptions. It's truth that sets you free. And I will tell you that is one of the most effective things that we can use in the uh, arsenal when Satan uh, accumulates his forces against God's people. I thank God for this message. I thank God for where it has brought us. I'm reminded of Exodus chapter 33, and just allow me a a minute or two of the preamble a little bit more. In Exodus chapter 33, this is the time when Israel had come out of Egypt and they were out in the wilderness, and um, Moses recognized that there was... Uh, there was some sin and unbelief that was within the camp. And he went and he, uh, he, he the Bible says that he moved a, a good distance from the congregation and set up a tabernacle of meeting there. It was a tabernacle that was a, a separate part from, uh, ways apart from the congregation, and he set it up there in the desert. And when he did, he said all the people kind of looked out their tent door and they saw uh, the presence of God coming because Moses was Moses' ministry, if you like, was placed there to bring a connection between God and the people. And the idea was for the people to come to that meeting place and for God to come to that meeting place and to join together. The worship was not about Moses. The worship was not about the prophet. But the prophet was used of God to bring the people of God together with the presence of God. Because the presence of God is the transformative power within any movement of God. When there is a movement of God, uh, it's effective and and it changes people because the presence of God is the dynamic that does accomplish the change. Are you with me? It's not how well the preacher preaches. It's not how many people are in your church. It's not how much money you have in the bank. It's the presence of God that changes the people. The presence of God is the thing that's going to transform us into people that are able to walk into that kingdom without death. That's what's going to do it. It is the transformative power of his presence. And so Moses did, Moses positioned himself, he did whatever he needed to do to create a place where the Holy Spirit, where the presence of God could come and meet with the people of God. And when the people saw that, they approached that uh, tabernacle of meeting very gently, very graciously, and God came. And, and therefore the prophet could stand back because uh, he had accomplished what he intended to do. Let me tell you, this is not about us worshiping Brother Branham or uh, revering Brother Branham above his place. We thank God for Brother Branham and what he did and the message that he brought. But let me tell you, the greatest thing that he did was bring us into the presence of God and decrease so that he could increase. He decreased so Christ could increase among us. And we then are left in the presence of God, but you really don't need much else. I mean, the church itself, the building itself is not going to transform anybody. Lots of people have been coming to churches for a long time. They're still here. All right? They're still in the same body. It's the presence of God that makes a difference. And our job together, not just me, but our job together, and our job, uh, you know, as a song leader or a musician or a deacon or whatever your role is, is to create in this place an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit's welcome. 
And whatever attitude or whatever uh, difference that we may have or whatever, uh, whatever way Satan might anoint somebody or whatever else, uh, you know, to cause a, a disagreement and grieve the Holy Spirit. Brother Bam said a rebellious child in one service can affect the atmosphere in the next service. And so, therefore, all of us are on guard. Every one of us are on guard uh, to make sure that we respond in the right way, to make sure we say the right things, to make sure that we do the right things, because uh, it's going to affect the atmosphere in this place, like it's going to affect the atmosphere in your, in your own life and in your own family and so forth. So, therefore, we all have, listen to me, we all have the responsibility to conduct ourselves in the right way among one another, within our families and within this place. Isn't that right? Showing respect where respect is needed. Making sure you teach your children never to disrespect. Because the thing we live for is the presence of God. And it's way, way more important than what you may think. Now, therefore, I want to springboard into this tonight here. And I want to refer to this as we talk about under this umbrella of Shalom in the Home. We want to talk a little bit about mixed messages. So let me get there just in a couple of screens here. By virtue of um, knowing the scripture as we define it, not how as, as society would define it, but a Christian family is a group of people who are related to each other through marriage, birth, or adoption and are committed first and foremost to the person and the work of Christ, faithfully witnessing to the love, power, and forgiveness of God. Let me say it again. You won't find this in culture. You won't find this on Google. Uh, this is not how the world views it. The, the world has a very, uh, a very different view of family and a much more loose uh, definition of family because it can be any combination of people uh, that can be put together and they can you know, decide that they want to be called a family. But in God's view, that's not the way that it is. In God's eyes, that's not correct. So a Christian family then is a group of people who are related to each other through marriage, birth, or adoption and are committed first, a Christian family, they're committed first to the person and the work of Christ. How many would agree? Faithfully witnessing to the love, power, and the forgiveness of God. There are people who are going to testify of the mercies of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And the way that they testify of that is they model that. They extend it to one another. They show mercy to one another. And they witness that love and that power and that forgiveness to one another. That's how we, uh, that's how we uh, express our belief in that. Right? It, it's not a hard thing to say, uh, you know, to come to church and say, oh, how I love Jesus. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a nice thing to sing, and it's a good thing when you're singing it. But it is much, much more uh, powerful to your children when you go home and you model the love of Christ to one another. And you actually do it in your own house. So I gave you uh, last night, if you uh, read your update, um, uh, and I recommended this sermon right here. It's called Influences 1964 in November. And uh, I was so impressed by it, like I said in the update, that somebody had sent me a quote from it, and I was so impressed by that, moved by that, I listened to the whole thing, and I was three quarters of the way done. I said, hey, i got to share this. I gotta, it's only me and my wife in the house, so there's not a whole lot of people to share with. 
But uh, I wanted to share this with somebody, and I thought, well, what greater group of people to share it with than uh, my own flock? And so I recommended that you listen to this one, gave you the written and the uh, YouTube version of it. You can pretty much get any sermon of Brother Branham on YouTube these days uh, if you dare to go there. And I never recommend it, but it is good for you to go there uh, to find those. They're all, uh, they're all listed on there. Uh, but it is just an absolutely tremendous message. And Brother Branham said, uh, excuse me here, he said, In this message, influence is a great thing. He said, we are told of Scripture that we are written epistles known and read of all men. Uh, Influence and um, identification are two of the most common sermons that Brother Brandon preached in his ministry. He would often refer to uh, these sermons, and influence is the leader, uh, the most commonly preached message that he uh, ever preached. And we as Christians should always watch what we do and what we say that we're perfectly honest to every man. Easier said than done. And you, if you can't be honest with your fellow man, you certainly won't be honest with God. So how we serve God is how we serve each other. He said, so how we serve God is we serve each other. And as honest as I would be with you, that's as honest as I'll be with God. Influence is a great thing. And that's the same way with you to me. We must be honest with each other In all of our dealings, say it with me, all of our dealings. And somebody is watching us. You may not think that, but there is eyes watching you. And your life is influencing somebody. Maybe it's a little child, and that child may grow up to be another Finney or a Moody or so forth. We don't know, but your life is influencing somebody. Now, Pardon me for taking advantage of the pun, but we certainly would rather make a Dwight L. Moody than the other kind of Moody. The English language is funny. There was a story told one time of a man who was a foreigner and he wanted to show his Mastery of the English language. The English language was not his uh, first tongue, and so he had learned English when he came to America, and he wanted to show off what he learned and leaned over to his colleague one day, and he said, you know, the problem with the English language is that the meanings are often so vague The guy said, what? He said, the English language very often is so vague The guy said, it's not vague He said, it's vague. And the foreigner said, see, he said, you know, I try to get it right, but I get all tonguey tied when I say things like that. He said, what? He said, I get all tonguey tied when I say things like that. And he said, it's not tonguey. He said, look, there's a rule. When a word ends in U-E, it's silent. The foreigner said, ah, oh, okay. He said, all right, that's fine. Let's not argue about it. So if we take the principle that somebody's watching you, and Brother Branham said the influence is a great thing. Watch what Brother Branham says. And and I want to say some of these quotes here in in a way that we can think about it, because I'm not looking for quantity here. I'm looking for the quality of what's being said. I want you to think about it. Brother Branham talks about Lot, and he said, Lot being greedy 
he showed what he was. In other words, when he was given the opportunity to make a choice, he chose the thing that was going to make his lot, pardon the pun, better than Abraham's. He did not prefer uh, Abraham. He rather took the opportunity to jump at what would be prosperous or advantageous to him. And he looked down there and he saw the great things already built up in, in Sodom. He didn't want to walk with God alone. He wanted to get mixed up with the world. So he's got a problem with greed, but he also has a problem with a commitment to Christ, right? Or to commitment to God. Uh, he's, he's got his eye on two things. Now, you can't have your eye on two things and have your body full of light. Isn't that right? Your eye's got to be single. And so Lot wanted to become a great businessman, influence in the city, and maybe he could make a few extra dollars. And in other words, he saw opportunity here. He saw opportunity this way. And we find out that he got a good position down there, but he was backslid. And he said, now that's the church carnal. So if Lot is a type of the church, they're they're looking this way. And that's a lesson for us because we sure don't want to be looking this way. We want to be looking this way. Right? I mean, the church spiritual would need to be looking this way if we want to be opposite to the way that Lot was. Because there are things you can obtain by looking this way. There are, uh, there, there are things you can accumulate by looking this way. Because the church is in a position to accumulate things. And money and influence and popularity and all the rest of it, you know, size and all of that. And, and so, Brother Branham's telling us that Lot saw that opportunity, went after that opportunity, but basically, at heart, he was a backslider. And he got down there and he became mixed up with the world where perverts and everything else was. And he took his daughters down there and all of his children and his wife and everything and put them right in the midst of something like that. Put them right in the midst of a bunch of people like that. My goodness. So therefore, when, when a man is out of his place, he has the potential to drag his family into a place that's not going to be of any benefit to them at all. A man's got to realize that the decisions he makes will affect more than just him. It's going to affect his family. And he was unfazed by the, uh, you know, the culture. He was unfazed by the atmosphere that was in Lot. He was unfazed by uh, any of the dangers or the signals or the red lights there. He was unaffected by that because all he saw was the opportunity for himself. Dragged his family into a situation, and we know how that came out. There was not even ten people that were left there by the time that uh, uh, the Lord went down there and inspected Sodom. There wasn't even ten people left who were righteous there. But Lot was intent on dragging his family into that. And I will say this, that, uh, you know, a man and a woman, they can, uh, they can drag their family into things that can be a real detriment to them. It can be a real Sodom for them. It can be, uh, uh, you know, something that may seem, in a sense, innocent because, uh, you know, wanting to make a living and wanting to make a few extra dollars, in a sense, it's not evil, but there's a motive that's there behind it. Somebody say amen. There's a motive behind what he's trying to do. And as a result, he brings his whole family into something that God's going to have to deal with later on, and all of Sodom gets burnt in the process, right? There's not anything good going to come out of Sodom. So Solomon writes to us in Proverbs chapter 8, he says, Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, and blessed are they that keep my ways. Take your Bible for a minute if you have it. Let's go to this little passage here in Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs the 8th chapter. If you have your Bible here, let's take a look. 
Now, like father, like son, here's Solomon dedicating this chapter here to the subject of wisdom. It's all about wisdom, how important it is, how aggressive you should be in pursuing it. And um, there's all kinds of words in the previous part of this chapter. Verse 8, all the words of my mouth are in righteousness, and there's nothing forward or perverse in them. The words of God are completely righteous. There's no darkness, there's no shadow, there's nothing forward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. You can always take God's word to the bank. It's always right, it's always correct. I, wisdom, verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. Wisdom is a friend of prudence. Prudence is not a girl. Wisdom dwells with prudence, conservative, careful. Somebody who is prudent is watching every move. They're looking at not only the present, but they're looking out. They're looking out there to see what this could become. They're not a worry ward. They're just prudent because they're not willing to put things that are precious at risk. For me, you know, everybody who works all their life, they have to make decisions about, you know, their retirement or what they're going to do. And my, one of my strategies, and I've always uh, taught this to the boys, and I, I've never quizzed them on this, but I've all, this position I took, that I was never going to uh, uh, spend the equity in my house, um, but rather just let the house, uh, you know, just, just pay it off as we, as we uh, were able to do it. Uh, I'm not going to gamble, I'm not going to gamble the equity in my house. I'm not going to put my house at risk, in other words. I would put a rental house at risk, but I'm not going to put my house at risk simply because I would never want to go back to my wife and say, this house is no longer ours, the bank is taking it. To me, that's a pretty powerful motivator. <laughs> Uh, now, I, you know, I realize there are, there are some unusual situations, and I'm just saying, I, I'm not saying this for you, all right? I'm saying this, this is my way of looking at it. I never wanted to put my primary residence at risk because I never wanted to make it vulnerable to repossession or whatever else. Because a lot of times people will think, well, I'll make a decision because I can cover the payments. And that's kind of not a good way to uh, make financial decisions. Because stuff changes, right? Things change. So therefore, that is speaking of prudent here. So wisdom dwells with prudence. So if you're making a decision, you ought to uh, look up some guy whose name is Wisdom and find out, uh, you know, some person whose name is Prudent and get them together. Uh, They go together and uh, ask them uh, questions here. And like he says, and find out knowledge. You want to find knowledge the best way that you possibly can. And the fear of the Lord is to hate evil and pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine, sound wisdom, I am understanding, and I have strength. You know what? Duh. It makes sense to go God's way, right? Whoever this is, I want to align with him because that's the way of strength. That's the way of wisdom. That's the way of understanding. So therefore, I'm going to go for that. This whole chapter is dedicated to that uh, theme. Verse 32. Now therefore, hearken unto me, O ye children... For blessed are they that keep my ways. I have declared my ways, and my ways are clear to somebody who understands. 
Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. Blessed is the man that heareth me, and blessed is the man that watches daily at my gates. In other words, he's standing there wanting to know what God says. Lord, what can you show me? What can you teach me? How can you correct me? How can I make this better? Is that all right? That's, that's a man who's blessed. A man who's blessed does not say, you know what? I'm going to do it this way. Doesn't matter what God says. Doesn't matter what the pastor says for sure. I'm going to do it my way. I've got to figure it out. And this is the way mom and dad always did it. And grandpa always did it. And so therefore I'm going to do it this way. Solomon is describing a man that is willing to hear instruction and he's willing to be wise and not refuse instruction when it comes and he knows it's from God. Hey, this may seem easy, but uh, I mean, it may seem simplistic, but uh, it's really an important thing. Verse 35, for whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. That's a good thing to have. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul and they that shall hate me love death. Wow. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul, and all that hate me love death. Wow. I, I mean, there's only two sides. So I don't want to be on that side. I certainly don't want to be on that side. So therefore, it is, it is really important that, uh, that we model the right thing. And, and this, is, this is speaking of a, a father, speaking of a, uh, you know, decision makers in a house, and by doing this, we send the right message to our children because they are uh, put there to learn from us. They are put there to learn the right way. And when a man pursues the right way and pursues uh, God and he pursues wisdom and prudence there, uh, which are often found together, uh, then, uh, you know, they're able to impart that wisdom to another generation because that's our responsibility. Now, stay with me. Now these gifts are in the Holy Spirit. And if this congregation this morning, just a nice snug church, full. Brother Bram visiting this church. It's not his own church. He's visiting this church. And, you know, he just, he remarks on, uh, you, you know, the atmosphere here and the harmony here. He says, notice if every person in here was in perfectly harmony with the Holy Spirit and every one of you was filled with the Holy Ghost and in harmony with the Holy Ghost, in other words, they're living their life in accordance with God's principles, these signs would be just multiplying among you all the time. It would be constantly going to be a, a testimony of things that God's doing. But where there's confusion and where there's difference, the Holy Spirit can't move. He can't operate through the people. So you know what happens is the words of a sermon all pile up right here on the ground. It's about as far as they get. It's when, it's when there's a response and a condition that's found among the people. And he said, there's no confusion and there's no difference there. We work out our difference. We uh, settle the matter. We exercise forgiveness, like uh, I mentioned earlier. And all of those things are uh, happening because, hey, the devil doesn't like to leave us uh, just as one big happy group, right? Brother Branham warned us about that. And as the, uh, speak, speak a little larger in, in terms of the bride around the world. Hey, the Holy Spirit does not like to uh, leave us one big happy group. Everybody kind of doing their own thing and preparing, uh, you know, families for the rapture. Let me tell you, Satan is, is powerful. He's subtle. He is, he is lurking constantly to try to find a place uh, where he can uh, divide, where he can uh, separate people and all of those other things there. It's a, uh, it, it, in a sense, in a sense, let's say it this way, that every position you take is based on a foundational belief. 
Right? Your foundational belief may be the way you're raised. Or the, uh, you know, the, you may have a, a certain view of the Bible. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a, a way that we look at everything and it's based on a foundation. And I will say this, that there really is only two foundations. Right? If we take the foundation of God's Word and then the other kind of foundation. Right? When you have a disregard for biblical authority, which in our nation is basically all but collapsed, you can have even the passing of just one generation to see the culture affected by that disregard for God's authority. It doesn't take centuries and centuries. It can take one generation to see a turnover where now all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, a generation that does not respect the authority of God's word. And I think we've seen that at the end of the Gentile ages there. And Brother Branham warned us about that. He, he cried out against that. And saw the rebellion and saw the disrespect for God's word. And saw ministry weakening in the pulpit and not saying the things it should say. And not trying to check the progress of Satan there. And in one generation, if you take from 1960 to 2000, look where we are now. And it is basically because people have gotten off the foundation of God's word. And therefore, there's a lot of reasoning that's gone on. There's a lot of compromise that's gone on. And all kinds of things have creeped in that nobody would have thought would have creeped in. Like, you know, homosexual ministries and all the other, uh, all the other creative ways that they uh, have tried to include the generation. And so uh, we, we have, uh, you know, we have a straying from the model that God had ordained. There's no reason to think that that's not going to happen in an assembly or in a family. When we get off the one foundation we should be staying on, uh, let me tell you, there, 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 there comes then... A binding of the Holy Spirit where he can't move like he would want to move. I'm just telling you the way I see it. The first man, the first woman in the Garden of Eden was in perfect harmony with God. So much that God could come down anytime he desired and talk lip to ear with Adam and Eve. That's a perfect scenario. And that's perfect oneness. God and his creation. God speaking lip to ear to Adam and Eve. And they were so perfect in harmony with God till they were one with God. And God and his family was one. He's been repetitive there. And he said, and any man his, and his family, a correct, good, noble, obedient family, is one with another, any family. And if there's something in the family that moves them apart, then it's not right. That family's broken somewhere. And you know what? That family's only going to move forward when it repairs that breach. They should all be one, father with mother, mother with father, children with parent, parent with children, all in agreement. And when you see that, you'll see one lovely picture. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to see continually? I mean, that's what we should strive for, shouldn't we? We should have that harmony between us and God. We should have it between us as couples and families and so forth. But there's a lot of mixed messages that are sent. There's a lot of mixed messages that are sent. Now, without having a whole lot of time for us to... uh, really delve into this, and I wanted to bring you to the, uh, just maybe the introduction to this idea, we had to be careful that we don't send mixed messages to our children in raising them. Mixed messages are, are they're a problem, because uh, we don't always know what somebody actually means, what, what they're trying to say. And mixed messages are basically difficult. We also know, too, that when it comes to communication, uh, only 7% is verbal. 93% is nonverbal. Hey, listen, I struggle with this. I struggle with this because of my face. Um, 
I struggle with this. I'm full of love and gentleness and caring. So I have got 93% of communication going against me. And then when you take that 93% and break it down, 55% of that is body language, and then the tone of voice is 38%. You have no idea how often I send people in this message, text messages that say, hey, can you drop by my office? Brackets, you're not in trouble. <laughs> I, I do it constantly. I might as well tell you the story. I never even told my wife. I was yesterday, I've just spent so much time on the phone and talking with people, different issues and different things. And I was yesterday I was at First Church of Walmart. I'm a member of the First Church of Walmart. And I was there in the parking lot, and uh, I was on the phone. And, you know, you stop your car. And, uh, I have a routine when I, when I get out of the car. And uh, I, I always take the Blessed Trinity with me, keys, wallet, my phone. And I always take them with me when I go. So I go through the check, you know, keys, wallet, phone, gone. You pretty much do anything you want as long as you have the Blessed Trinity with you. So as I was getting out of the the truck, I had a phone call. So I was dealing with the phone call and, um, you know, just ending the call, got out of the car, got out of the truck and went off and got into First Church of Walmart, got my stuff, going out. You know where this is going, right? There are two vehicles in the world that are hardest to break into. One of them is a Volvo. The second one is a Ford truck. And uh, so I, I came to the vehicle. I was checking my pockets. And the Blessed Duo was there. And I look in the window, and there they are sitting on the console right there because I had taken them off, and I had a notepad. I carried three or four notepads with me, and I was writing on the notepad, and I laid down the keys in order to write on the notepad. You have the option of calling AAA. That's a three-hour wait. And I said, man, you know, I mean, I'm a type A. I'm a Gemini. I got stuff to do, people to see, things to do, places to go. And I... I said, okay, I'll start calling some of the locksmiths that we know in town. So I called three or four of them. They all said the same thing. We don't do car calls anymore. (laughs) You don't. Like, what do you do if you don't do car calls? Well, we don't come to parking lot. We don't come to open your car anymore. Wow. Well, who does? I mean, somebody's got to do it, right? Who does? The police. Really? They said, yeah, call the police. I said, I'm not calling the police. Police are busy enough. I'm not calling the police. They said, Call the police. So after exhausting my yellow pages, I, I realized I don't have any other choice. So I, I, call, I call the police. I said, I feel pretty stupid at the moment here. I feel pretty bad, but um, my, car, my keys are locked in the car. I'm in Walmart, and uh, I, no one else seems to care. Nobody else seems to <laughs> want to help. I feel pretty bad distracting you like this, and I know you have, you know, law and order to enforce in the world and everything else. And, and I, I said, uh, this, is, this is, you know, it's where I'm at. 
And they said, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in the parking lot Walmart. Where are you at in the parking lot? I said, right smack in the middle. And uh, you're right in the center lane, right smack in the middle. I said, what color? They said, what color is your truck? I told them. I said, do you want me to stand here? And uh, they said, yeah, because I jumped out without my jacket. And it was kind of cool. And I said, uh, you know, I'll go sit in the truck until uh, they get there. Very funny. And uh, so they said, no, no, just stand there. We've already dispatched somebody, and they're on their way. I said, really? They said, yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting there in the parking lot, or standing there in the parking lot next to my truck, and, and uh, uh, just eating a Fuji and just waiting around. And uh, all of a sudden, here I look around, and here's Officer Bean. Officer Bean gets out of his car, and uh, he described himself as as big as a Philistine. He was, he was one of the biggest fellers I'd ever seen. Wouldn't want to run into him at the other end of a nightstick. And uh, I, let me tell you, I, because I felt so bad, I put on the smiliest face that I could. I was so, I was so happy to see him, and I was so thankful. And, and uh, he, you know, he, he even acknowledged that. He said, you know, you're a pretty nice guy. He says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. Oh, great. He tells me this story about the Philistines and how they call his family Philistines and all the rest of it. And in the end of it, I said, hey, do you mind? We have our picture made. And I said, yeah, we took a picture together. And I always do that. And I said, can I take a picture of your name badge? And uh, so I took a picture of your name badge. And and uh, I said, you know, do you know Gary Brumfield? And I was just like, you know, the, the progressive ad problem. And I, I, I just I got carried away. But I was just trying to be as nice as I possibly could to the guy because my, my face gets me in trouble. And I didn't want to be looking upset when the police came, uh, you know, because he would think, whoa, you know, is there a robbery going on? Or did you kill the guy in that truck or whatever else? And he, hey, he bent his wire and fished that thing out. And, and it, was, it was really great. It was really great. That's the end of the story. But as parents, we had to be careful that we don't send mixed messages to our kids. That's, that's really an important thing. It's really important that we don't do that in life, uh, that we don't do that uh, in the wrong way. Uh, let me, so like, for, for instance, you can, uh, you can say, hey, you can ask me anything, but don't ask me that. Or I could come over, where's, where's Kingston? Not around? You should bring him. He's a great guy sitting right in the right spot there. You tell him I miss him, all right? They, <laughs> Kingston went home. The guy, little guy was sitting on the front row, and he went home. And his father asked him how his church. He said it was great. He said, I almost got my head cut off, but he said it was really great. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I had to be careful with uh, even with my boys and growing up because, uh, you know, if I said, hey, I'm not angry, that's kind of a mixed message if I say it that way. Or hands are not for striking, except when I spank you. Or it's not acceptable to scream. Come on in, will you? It's a mixed message. And whatever you do, tell the truth all the time. So let's say you're three, and we'll get in for free, all right? For children, and this is what's interesting... Mixed signals are negative signals in disguise. So ultimately, the only way I can figure this out is to pay attention to the actions more than the words. So children don't have the ability to process 
um, or figure out, you know, is Brother Barry really mad at me or is he not? Uh, they look at the body signals, they look at the negative signals and, and you know, the physical part, and that's how they interpret uh, what it is that's being done around them. It's, it's not enough for them just to hear the words. They are affected by the, the, the signal itself. And so, therefore, we had to be very careful because, remember, only 7% of what you say is really communicated. 93% goes the other way with the physical part, right? So, therefore, when dealing with children, you know, we had to make sure that we don't send, send mixed signals because it becomes very confusing to them. Hang on now, because this gets kind of tricky. I will tell you this, that when it comes to boys and girls, when it comes to uh, courting a guy courting a girl, mixed signals can simply be a miscommunication, or they can be an excuse to hold you at arm's length because they don't want to commit. So if some dude says to a girl, I really like you, but I want to hang around with all these other girls. What is that? Right? I want to... I want to maintain contact with you, but, uh, you know, I want to have all this communication with other girls around. That may be a modern way, but it, if you ask the girl, that's usually pretty confusing. And really, at the end of it, it is really a, uh, a way of saying that I'm not ready to commit so a girl naturally would kind of draw back at that and say, well, is he interested in me or is he not? Uh, you know, he doesn't want to practice this, hey, you're, you're the special person God's led me to, and I want to focus my attention on you, I want to get to know you, and I, uh, you know, I believe God's led me this way, or whatever else, and, uh, you know, say things that would indicate he's ready uh, if, if the will of God is right, and the timing is right, he's ready to commit to a girl like that. But if he goes the other way like this, he's, he's holding her at arm's length because he's not ready to commit. Now, take that and apply it in the spiritual because you can send mixed signals to the Holy Spirit as well by your conduct and by your words. As you can be in church and sing like a bird and go out and live another way, you're really holding the Holy Spirit at arm's length. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what we call a mixed signal. And the Holy Spirit is great at understanding mixed signals. Because you know why? God does not look at uh, just your words. He's not just focusing on, what did he say? What does God look at first? The heart. God looks at the heart first. All right. Brother Branham, in the church age book, he's talking about Revelation chapter 2, and he's describing one of the church ages there. He says, I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and has borne, uh, and has borne, and has patience, and for thy namesake has labored, and has not fainted. God credits the, that church age for that, that characteristic. And then Brother Branham goes on to say how beautifully the Savior praises and commends his children. He takes full account of their fine spiritual attitude and their behavior. So their behavior and their attitude matched. And God liked that. You understand the difference, right? It's not a mixed message here. It's not a confusing thing. He knows that there is weakness amongst them, but as yet he does not cry out against it. He doesn't cry out against it. 
Isn't that just like the Lord? He knows how to encourage us in the right matters and discourage us in the wrong matters. Wow. I mean, as a parent, that's a good way to approach it as well. You want to encourage your kids in the right matters and discourage the wrong matters? We could all learn a good lesson right here in running the church and our families. Wow. So in other words, you want to model, you are, sorry, let's say it this way. You want to teach your children that your words and your actions should match. Because that's a mix, that's, that's not a mixed signal. It is the right thing, the right message you're sending to God, right? It, we're not just obeying because I'm going to get in trouble if I don't. We're not just being, uh, you know, pretending to be sorrowful because I want to get away from the punishment, so I'm going to put on a good act here. Uh, you know, that might fool your parents, but it doesn't fool God, right? And if little kids get away with that, and they get away with things like that, or they lie, even though there's a stack of witnesses that say opposite, but they lie, and the parents, you know, give in to that, uh, you know, you're enabling your kids to, to live the lie and all the rest of it here. Brother Bram says we learn a good lesson right here in running the church in our family when we teach our children that their attitude and their actions line up. They match. The best way for you to teach your children to let their attitude and their behavior match is for you to let your behavior and your attitude match. So you may have a right to get even. You may have a right to anger. But you may not have a biblical right. And you remember I talked about the rights the other day, the other Sunday when we were here. And we had to be very careful that we don't cross over into the area of vengeance because vengeance is not yours, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine. God will right all of the wrongs. But to say that there is no such thing as anger would be also incorrect. There is a, there is a righteous, if you like, or a godly kind of an anger, but we had to be careful, listen, we don't hang on to it because we're supposed to let it go. Right? Let, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. When we begin to brood on it and we drag it around with us everywhere we go and we bring it up at every dinner, Put it on the table. You're violating scripture. You don't have a leg to stand on. Right? So therefore, we had to be careful how we deal with this. Because there are certain things that fall into the domain of God. And there are certain things that fall into our domain. And like Jesus anticipating problems, as we said, uh, you know, hey, if your brother have aught against you, you know, there's things that you should do. And there's, there's all kinds of scripture, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men and all the other uh, things that uh, we've referred to before. So we had to be careful about how we conduct ourselves in this way. And Brother Bram says we can learn some real good lessons here. And better still, we could all learn a good lesson in that God deals with each one of us in exactly this way. Don't ever be discouraged, saint of God. For God is not ungracious to forget your labor of love. It's always right. It's always good to show the right kind of love to somebody. Now, let me, let me uh, find a way out. Brother Branham, here's the question. I believe the message you teach with all my heart and it thrills my soul. However, my wife and son do not rejoice in the word. They do not desire to separate themselves from some of their worldly habits. And you said that we should claim our families, and I find that difficult to do, seeing that they do not live for the word or in the word 
What's my course of action? Do I claim them and believe, or do I pray, Father, thy will be done, and be content in the state I find myself in? I'd appreciate your guidance. Good question. Because he's got a family there. These are all people that are new to the message because the message is, you know, it's not a generation old yet. And so he's asking about what he should do in this situation here. Brother Ram's answer is great. And we'll, we'll trail out with this. He said, God bless you, my brother. I would just commit them to the Lord. Because you know what? You cannot guilt somebody into believing Christ. You can't guilt somebody into predestination. Right? It's for whosoever will. And it is a, it, I mean, there's a predestinated plan that's at work. And so uh, you can actually push them farther away by making somebody feel really bad because they're not serving the Lord. It's just like, you know, when you live with somebody who's on a diet and you eat something that's not on their diet and they look at it and say, whoa, low down, dirty rascal. So the best thing to do is commit them to the Lord and leave them in God's hands. Now, all right, now does it, he doesn't leave it right there. He says, now, it made my heart to swell the other day. Watch out. And this, I didn't, I didn't leave anything out. It made my heart swell the other day going up and down seeing those motel men. And Brother Ram was talking about in the city of Jeffersonville when people would come in from out of town, they'd stay at these motels and eat at certain restaurants there. And he said, I went down to see Mr. Becker. Mr. Becker said, Billy, you know what? I feed your whole congregation every Sunday. And then he said, uh, I met this other man, the owner of the ranch house. And I said, how do you, he, he referred to him as Brother Branham. And he said, how do you know me? He said, I know you. I feed your whole congregation here every Sunday. And I want to tell you something. They're fine people. They're fine people. And you see, that made me feel good, you, my children. And when I hear my children acting nice and being nice, that makes Papa feel real good. Can you make the connection between what he's saying here and what, he, what he's answering that question? What's the best behavior to exhibit to people around? To people, the businessmen and the restaurant owners and the hotel owners and so forth. He said, when these people come in here, he said, they're, they're, they're different. They're, they're just really kind to one another. And so they're not just kind to one another when Brother Branham's around, and then they chew out the waitress after that. He, he, the owner said, hey, they're just nice people. And he said, they're fine people. They're, they're fine. He said, well, that, that makes me feel good. Because, in other words, there's a quality that's coming out that other people can see And you know what? That is an example of the best kind of witness you can be to somebody who does not believe. And the woman in the front of the question here doesn't believe. And the son, you know what's going to draw them faster? is not intimidation. It's it's a Christian life lived before them. That's what you want to have. Huh. Call me Papa. But I like for people to be able to come in here and say, wow, they're fine people. Or for you to go up to a restaurant in town where you're always frequenting and something else and have that kind of a testimony and I run into that testimony, that's a good thing. Because you know what? Then I know we are, as a congregation, 
doing what we're commissioned to do in the Great Commission, and that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. How do you preach it? You don't stand there in the corner and knock people over over the head with the Bible. You know what? You demonstrate the character of Christ. You demonstrate the words of Christ. You demonstrate that attitude of Christ. My sister... And, and Brother Ram reverses it now. He's still on the answer. If your husband wants you to go down to the Methodist church, go ahead. You might not have a whole loaf of bread, but uh, if they say they believe Christ is the Son of God, he said, you believe that because we do too. He says, you, if they're going to go off on another tantrum, let them go ahead, but you eat that much bread. And in that, you just show by the sweetness of your life and your consideration for others And if you haven't got it, sister dear, pray till it comes to you. That you won't have to put on something artificially. Because when you do, it's not real. Hello? We don't want the Holy Spirit to be looking in there at some religious conduct and saying, that ain't real. I can't honor that because that's really hypocritical. That's what's called the unfeigned love of the brethren. It is the actions of a hypocrite. And if you don't have it, here's how you get it. You pray until it comes to you. And then you don't have to put it on. Because when you do, it's not real. Your husband can tell. But when you really have prayed to a place till your life is full of salt of the Savior, it'll make a contact. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to you. What a shame if our conduct ties the hand of the Holy Spirit and he can't move among us here so that we can in turn move among people out there that are not in the light. What a shame that would be. And what a shame it is if we go out and we're just pretending, we're just acting. What we all need to pray that God gives us is the real thing so that we can, number one, live in a way that pleases him and then number two, live in a way that affects them. And when I go like this, you know what I'm referring to, right? Because I don't have three arms. But there's this and there's these two. The outside people out in the world and the people within the body. Right? Everybody got it? Give me a chair. I can put my leg up. We have a responsibility to God first. We have the responsibility to people outside. We have a responsibility to people within the body. And I will tell you something. Brother Branham is saying, hey, you want to be an effective witness to your wife, or you want to crack this thing so that they would become interested in the word, then don't guilt them into it, and don't shame them into it, and don't force them into it, and don't squeeze them into it. Live them into it. Be gracious to them. And that character, that character and that love is the most powerful weapon you have in your quiver. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stop there. If you have our musicians come, that love that God puts in your heart for somebody, let me tell you, that is the most powerful weapon that's in your arsenal. It is the most powerful thing that's in your quiver. It is the thing that God wants us to use first and foremost. And I will tell you, when you exhibit love and you exhibit the right kind of love, it will affect not only the person that you're dealing with, but your kids will be watching it as well. Your kids will learn from that. And he says, just show by the sweetness of your life and consideration for others. My goodness. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I, I believe that. I, I don't know whether you believe that or not. I, I, I believe that.
And I will tell you what, I think your, your kids will be affected by that probably more than any lecture you can give them. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. Are we all right? I, uh, that's something to think about because we want to we send a consistent message to our children because if they, if they can't figure it out, if they can't figure it out, they're going to go by the body language and they're going to try to sort this thing out by looking at the situation. It's confusing for kids. It sure is. So we need to be consistent. And God's given us the measuring line. He's given us the standard. He's given us the plumb bob whereby we line everything up. Do we make mistakes? Yes. Do we get out of sorts? Yes. Do we get offended? Absolutely. Brother Bram said there's a place for you to turn. He says if you haven't got it, then you should come and pray. And he says and ask God to give you the real thing. Because if I only had a little bit of the real thing, that's better than a whole lot of a fake attitude. Just give me a Lord, give me a little bit of the real thing. And then build on that Lord. Give me the right foundation and build on it. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace that's brought us through. For his eyes, so great is the measure about his love think about his goodness oh think about his grace that's brought us
means to me.
How we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can sing your praises tonight, Lord, in the peace and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you are one who is worthy. You are one, Lord, who deserves all praise. And Lord, the word is a corrector. It's one that helps us, Lord, to think differently about things. And Lord, we thank you for the way the Holy Spirit is able to impress certain things under our hearts, Lord. And every one of us individually, Lord, we have to take that word and just look at it like a mirror. And we say, Lord, with all sincerity, change my heart, O God, that we might be living in a way that's pleasing unto you. Lord, may our conduct and our attitude and our beliefs, Lord, may they all line up together. And Father, we know we'll hit the target every time. We thank you, Lord, for these little simple lessons. But if there's ever going to be shalom in our home, then, Lord, we have to take inventory. We have to look carefully, Lord, at your word. Because we always want to live in an atmosphere where you're near and you're welcome. Have your way, Lord Jesus. We thank you and we give you praise and glory. Minister, Lord, to those who are sick tonight. May, Father, we be like those people Brother Brandon mentioned from his church that went out into their community and reflected Christ. May, Lord, we be that kind of a people. May our testimony be true. May our words be sincere. Help us, Lord, right where we are, I pray. We humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. You are the Make it ever